0: One of the things we believe, if if you're a follower of Jesus, and and I, again I don't know, there's a there's a bunch of you here I a, a can't recognise behind your masks, and b haven't met before because you you're visiting and you're checking it out, or you're here for to support me, so or to support Brian. Um, I don't know where you are spiritually, but one of the things we believe is that we're not alone in the universe, and that's a really good thing. Um, we think, uh, depending on what's out there, of course. Um, And that the God that we believe is out there is a God who actually communicates with us, um, doesn't leave us guessing about who he is, who we are, and how we should live. And, uh, and the primary way God communicates with us, and he does, he communicates in all kinds of ways as well, but the sort of, the primary way that, the sort of authoritative shaping way is really through scripture, through this text that God's people have gathered together and, and have heard God speak through for three and a half thousand years. And so uh, what we do as a family is we, we try and order our lives as we live uh, under the gracious rule of Jesus, as we try and follow Jesus. We say, well, the primary place we look to for instruction and revelation is Scripture. Uh, and that kind of guides us. And so what we're doing in this term one is we're going to be looking at the Scriptures, and in particular, this little letter of 2 Corinthians, and uh, you may never have read it. You may not even know where it is. You This may be all new to you. But, but hang in there because it, it, it's pretty amazing what it says. And it speaks so profoundly to us. Uh, this is what I mean. Um, a bit of a history lesson to set the scene. Uh, so this letter was written about 2,000 years ago to a bunch of people who had become followers of Jesus in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a very prosperous a commercial and trading city that had ancient, ancient uh, history, but they'd been destroyed and then they'd been recolonized by uh, by Roman soldiers. They'd been Roman veterans. Uh, the Roman Empire ruled all of uh, the known world at that time. And Corinth is a city in Greece that had been resettled by Roman veterans and become a massive trading hub because it's on a little. Um, and th- this this was the technical hitch, so bear with me, because uh, what I've got to do is uh, just make if our Wi-Fi is working. My goal is to find Google Maps, and uh, there we go. Oh, I'll have to be Apple Maps. Sorry. And uh, let's have a look. You see, this is what's amazing, right? Continue, apps, privacy. And then you just look up Corinth. And uh, you know what, and because it's Apple, all the, f- you see what first comes up? Like who's ever been to Corinth in Texas? Anyway, of course. So, but here we are, here's Corinth. How do I cancel? How do I get rid of this? Never use Google Maps. But if you, can you all see that? and if we scroll down you can see even today if you go to Greece you can go and visit Corinth and you can see where this happened uh who knows I never used this Uh, should be able to get rid of that hang on how about that oh and more there we go okay so if you scroll right out you can see where we are um and you can see where Corinth lies and What Paul is going to talk about, he's been uh, on a a traipsing around Asia, it's called, which is on the map there, you can see still places like Thessaloniki uh, and Alexandrapouli and other places up there um, in Asia, and he's come down into Greece and he's been telling people there the good news about Jesus, And a church, a group of followers of Jesus, have started in this town of Corinth. Now, can you see Corinth on the map? Yeah, I can see it, so you should be able to. It's next to Athens. But if you scroll right in, you see Corinth is actually on this little, um, kind of like an isthmus, right? And uh, if you go right in, can you see that blue, the Corinth canal? Right? So what the ancients did was they worked out you could save a lot of time and a lot of hassle if you built a shipping trade that uh, brought your ships in and um, then just went through that little isthmus rather than sailing all around the bottom of Greece to get to Athens. So Corinth was a, an, a commercial town that was on the on this isthmus. So all the trade north and south went through Corinth and all the trade east and west went through Corinth and it was a very rich prosperous, competitive, successful city. It was a city uh, where people were climbing over each other to get ahead because it was a new city. You could still make it in Corinth if you worked hard. Patronage was important, opportunities were important. People were there to get rich, completely unlike Sydney um, in its culture. Uh, we are not a city that is obsessed with getting ahead. We're not a city that's new, where you can still make it if you like. We're not a city where we compete with each other for position and privilege and power and harbor views, are we? We're not a city that's self-reliant. We're not a city that looks down on other cities because of our, our fortune and our fame and our youth and our vigor. We're very similar to the Corinthians very similar in so many ways uh, and this is an important point uh, we we as moderns or postmoderns suffer often from chronological snobbery that is what we tend to think is our problems and our solutions our genius our intellect is unlike anyone who's ever lived before right so uh, that means we're we're special, uh, and that blinds us to so much wisdom and learning. And what we realize is, hey, guess what? We're not. The culture and the problems and also the solutions that the Corinthians faced are the same problems we face. Now, why say all of that? Well, because Christianity is a historic faith. It's grounded in space and time. It's not, it's not a, just a set of ideas. It's not a philosophy. It's actually a lived reality. And why Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians is to help them live out a way, live out a way of life, a way of being. See, it's not enough just to go, oh, yes, I think there's a God. Okay, well, most of us think there's a God. It's not even enough to go, oh, yeah, I think Jesus was a pretty good bloke. I mean, most people think that, right? It's actually not even enough to go, oh, well, actually, and I think Jesus was God. You go, that's great. The essence of Christianity and what we're on about here and what I want to invite you into more deeply, even as I invite myself more deeply into it, is Christianity is a way of being. It's a whole new life. It's actually a way of, of being joined to Jesus and rediscovering in Him a way, a walk, a path, a community, a family, a whole new life. And the Corinthians were struggling with that because um, they were like a big chunk of uh, frozen meat. Okay, I don't know if you've ever defrosted meat. If you take a big chunk of meat and it's frozen and then you defrost it and then you try and cook it, you know what you can discover? No matter how much heat you put on the outside, sometimes, unless you're very careful and you defrost it carefully, you can still find frozen bits deep inside the meat and they don't cook. It's particularly problematic if it's chicken and then you die from salmonella caused by the chicken. So what has that got to do? Well, you can become a follower of Jesus. You can be immersed in the way of Jesus. But there's bits of life that you carry around in you from your culture, from your city, from your past, that that haven't yet been touched by the warmth of the gospel, haven't been touched by Jesus yet. And, And those things can be very deeply buried inside of us, just like a bit of meat that hasn't thawed through properly. And... And that can cause enormous problems in our own personal lives, but in our interpersonal lives. I'll give you an example that we'd never find here in Sydney. But they found in Corinth because they're very primitive, right? Uh, And one of the problems in Corinth was an obsession with external appearances. how powerful you are, How what your status is. And, and because of that, there was competition and gossip and undermining and climbing over each other because it was all about what you looked like and who you associated with. Now, it's good that we don't struggle with that at all in Sydney because that, that was found in the church in Corinth because that little bit of them hadn't yet been thawed by Jesus. It was a bit of the culture that was destructive, that they'd grown up in, that they carried with them, and was carried into their spiritual lives and did immense damage. Jokes aside... What this little letter will do and what God's Holy Spirit will do if you join us and you lean into this, is He will show you and me what are the bits inside of me and inside of you and inside of us that are still much more like a culture that's gone astray, maybe competitive, maybe focused on external appearances, maybe full of gossip, maybe full of greed, maybe lusting after power, maybe obsessed with money, all kinds of things, maybe full of fear, maybe maybe just... You know, a, sc- a smattering of racism and fear of the other, or, uh, sexism and patriarchy, all that stuff can be buried deep in our hearts, and what this as it was in Corinth, and what this letter will do is it'll expose that, and it'll thaw our hearts, so right the way through, from the inside out, we can live in the way of Jesus like Jesus. That's the plan. OK, so that's why the history is important. so we're going to dig into this. And uh, this, these opening verses, which we might cycle back to next week because they're so rich and I have no idea how far I'm going to get through them tonight, this morning, are so rich. And I wanted to say, I wanted to point out a few things here. Firstly, it starts off saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Um, Paul has a calling, he's an apostle. And it's God who's chosen him. Guess what? You and I also have callings. We're not apostles in the same sense as Paul. An apostle in the first century was typically identified as someone who would had face-to-face contact with Jesus himself while he was incarnate. You and I aren't like that. But in the same way that God chose Paul and gave him a job, God chooses you and has a job for you to do. You might you, you you might be sitting here going, oh, I don't know about that. I'm such I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty inadequate. I'm not even sure how much faith I have. Uh, maybe maybe you're just up to your ears and eyes and elbows in little children, and you have no spare capacity. I don't know. Wherever you are, God has a job for you to do. He wants to use you, and and that's His plan. It's His will. And he says then, he writes this letter with his his brother Timothy to the church of God. This is quite significant here, right? He says, uh, and for those of you who are interested in grammar, the of God is what's called a possessive genitive. The genitive is a grammatical phrase. The of and possessive says that the church belongs to, is possessed by God. Okay, so when you come to Darling Street Church, whose church is this? We are the church of. That wasn't that hard, was it? We're the church of God. We're not the church of Mark. God help us. We're not the church of the Diocese of Sydney. God help them. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Um, Bit of an insider joke. Uh, We don't belong to anyone. And if you've been here a long time, we're not your church. We are the family, the people of God. But in the end, we belong to God. That's it. We'll all come and go. It's a throughput system. One thing I'm pretty sure of in a hundred years' time, none of us will be here, but there'll be another Church of God, God-willing meeting here, probably still using the same coffee machine and singing the same songs. <laughs> the Church of God. So when you come, and, and if you're visiting here and you're checking us out, we're not a, we're not a gathering of, of a book club, though we read a book. We're not a coffee club, though we drink coffee and tea. We're not a therapy group, though we do a bunch of therapy here. We're not a yoga club, though we do yoga. We're not an early learning center, though we teach kids. We're not a marriage enrichment program, though we enrich marriages. We're a community of people who belong to God, and all the things we do flow out of that. So... so. This is what we're here for. We belong to God, and we've got jobs to do. Now, of course, I don't know about you, but the question to say, where the church of God begs the question, well, what is this God like that we belong to? You may never have thought that, um, but it's a really significant question. See, throughout human history, basically every person in every culture has always believed there's a god of some sort. Uh, Maybe our culture for the last hundred or so years, there's a new phenomenon where it's possible for you and I to think that there may not be a god. That's new, right, culturally, historically. um, And that's the product of a whole bunch of forces from uh, what's called the Enlightenment onwards to create the possibility of thinking that there may not be a god. When Paul wrote this, everybody, like has happened through 99% of human history, everyone thought there was a God. The real question was, what kind of God was there, right? What kind of God was there? So the, 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 the Romans had their gods, the Greeks had their gods, uh, the, uh, the Persians had their gods, the Assyrians had their gods, everyone had their gods. No one doubted that they were gods. The problem is a lot of the gods were pretty miserable. They were angry, they were vicious, they were capricious. They were power-hungry, they made human life miserable. Against that, God's people, the Jews, emerged and brought in to being, for the first time in history, a view of monotheism. There aren't multiple gods, there's only one God. And that view of Judaism that came in, and and Paul was a Jew, and Jesus was a Jew, uh, uh, I'm a Jew, uh, and uh, ethnically and genetically, and, and you're all Gentiles. But what I'm, what I'm, and the, most of the church in Corinth were Gentiles, like you, non-Jewish background. But, but what we what we enter into is the worship and the following of the God of Israel, one God, monotheism, whose character is then revealed through history, and then comes into absolute clear focus in Jesus. So, God's revealing himself, revealing himself, revealing himself, then finally steps onto the stage, onto the Jewish stage, onto the global stage, and says, this is what I'm like. Come and follow me. And we see that with crystal clarity in Jesus, as he is God himself, revealing himself to us, showing us what God is like. So, if you think there's a God, what sort of God do we discover in Christianity And I will, uh, verse 3 and 4 are, if you're going to memorize any verse and plug this truth into your head, any two verses from this letter, memorize these. These are two verses that I cannot overstate the impact they've had on my life personally. The whole way I see myself, the whole way I see the world, the whole way I see God. That profound, look at this. Paul starts this letter and he says, blessed be or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you go, yeah, it's... we see God revealed as the father of Jesus. We can talk more about that, about the need for fathers, and how if you've had an ambivalent relationship with your father, maybe your dad wasn't around for you much, maybe he was abusive, maybe he was uh, disengaged, maybe he had addiction issues, whatever it might be. Um, what, what, what we see is that there is a, an offer of healing here as we encounter God as father. It's powerful and transformative. And then look at the sort of father he is. And the God he is. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of. 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 People up the back. I'm not hearing a lot from you guys. That is is an unthinkable description of God in the ancient world. Because it says that, that God is not an arbitrary, powerful warrior who just kills people and doesn't feel anything. And it's, it's a unique description of the gods of God even today. If you went to a Muslim person, so my brother converted to Islam, and I had lots of conversations with him about Islam. If you spoke to an Islamic scholar, the idea that Allah would have compassion, would feel, would actually stand with us. Compassio is the Latin background for this, to suffer with. That the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the father of suffering with humanity is unthinkable in Islam. And if you spoke to a Buddhist the idea that, that, that there is at the heart of the universe desire and feeling and suffering with in identity with humanity is unthinkable in a, in a Buddhist framework, because the, the drive of Buddhism is to remove all suffering and all pain by removing all desire and by disconnecting from everyone. So if you've watched The Good place, very popular show on Netflix, there's a great podcast, Tim Ferriss, interviewing the guy who wrote The Good Place. He's also just written a book on moral philosophy. He's a fascinating a writer and thinker. But in the end, spoiler alert, The Good Place is an essentially a Buddhist worldview where you learn, you learn, you learn, you do, you do, you do, and eventually you, you completely disengage from all relationships and you return to the pregnant nothingness of the universe like a drop of water returning to the sea. The religion of Darling Street is the religion not necessarily of Buddhism or of Islam. It's the religion of particles and progress. There are forces at work that take the various particles that we have and rearrange them over a very long period of time and slowly we all get better and better and better. But it's a blind force of evolution. Of of progress directed by we don't know what to we don't know where. And against that, Christianity says, No, there's the father of compassion. There's a God at the heart of the universe who looks at you and at me and has compassion. He understands. And, And isn't that what we desperately want and need. We want to need it from each other. What do you call a person who has no compassion on anyone else? Who, who is incapable of compassion? What do you call them? A narcissist? A sociopath? It's a terrible disorder. Christianity says, you know, you and I need compassion. We need human connection. And guess what? We're only ever going to get that imperfectly from each other. But Christianity invites you into a way of being with a God who is the God and Father of compassion for you. And it gets better because what does God do with this compassion what does he do? He's the Father of compassion and the God of all. The God of all. Okay, up the back, I can't hear anything. I thank you. I could hear it down here. The God of all. Yeah. And what does he do who comforts us in all our troubles? Huh. Now, that's an amazing promise that Paul says. You come to God, you'll find a being of infinite compassion whose, whose fundamental orientation towards you is to comfort you in all your troubles. So if you, if you have no need of comfort, then this isn't the church for you. Right? That's just true, right? Like and let me put a bit more of a point on it. If you want a religious experience where you never have to be open and honest and vulnerable about your struggles or connect with other people's struggles, if you want a place where we can just go through the rituals, plaster on a smile, do the right thing long enough that hopefully it'll all be okay in the end, this isn't the church for you. You go to work for that. (laughs) this is a place where we come and we say, man, there's so much that's hard in the world there's so much that's hard in life and when we bring that to God, what we discover is compassion and comfort that's what we're on about we want to be a church where we are drawn deeply into this being with God who loves us and who's here to comfort us in all our comfort, in all our troubles and we have many now, of course, you may not be struggling right now, but, but I'm sure you have. I know you have, and I know you will. Just a matter of time. And then what he says, what, what the Bible says is, he comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So how, if you join our church, and as you're part of our church, How do you and I receive comfort from God? Well, it could be meditating alone on a mountaintop. Don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing to do. The fundamental way God is going to connect with you and me to bring us comfort is through others who have received that comfort themselves. That's what happens. Now, that is powerful, right? I'll tell you what that one practical thing that means. It means whatever suffering and hardship you have gone through, if you work with God, is never wasted, because God will use whatever you have gone through, if you will allow him to, he will use you to be a conduit, a pipe of blessing to someone else. The comfort you've received will flow through you so that you can comfort others. Have you had cancer and found God comforting you through that journey? Well, now God can use you to to bring his comfort to other people journeying with cancer. Have you had have you lived with someone in your family who has an addiction? Well, you can now comfort others who are living with families, members with addiction. You can join Al-Anon. Are you, have you lived with addiction? And are you now sober and walking with Jesus? Well, now you can be used by God to bring the comfort of Jesus to others who struggle with addiction. Have you gone through a marriage breakup? Right? Now, you're not allowed to talk about that in many churches. Right? you pretend it doesn't. It does happen. Have you experienced that? Well, guess what? That's not wasted because now, as you experience and find comfort in your journey of marriage breakup, you can comfort others. Are you a survivor of uh, adverse childhood experiences, trauma as a kid? Are you a survivor of childhood sexual abuse? Well, that doesn't, one of the ways God redeems that and heals us is He comforts us in that, and then He uses us. To comfort others with the comfort we have received in that. When I think about my life, um, my most powerful experiences of God have come when God has been comforting me in my places of greatest pain and suffering and brokenness and trouble. And my most powerful experiences of being used by God are when I have been able to connect with others to bring them the comfort in similar situations that I experienced back then. So you want to talk about comforting others? When I look back on my life, I think I've had a ministry where, apart from doing this kind of upfront teaching stuff, which I love, I've walked alongside lots of people who've grown up in broken families, lots of people who've had awful dysfunctional fathers, lots of people who've experienced substantial trauma as kids, lots of people who've experienced sexual abuse as children and teenagers, lots of people who experience the ongoing effects as adults of the kind of epigenetic generational effects of trauma yeah, why have I done that? And why has it been rich and good and wonderful? It's because that's where God has met me and comforted me. And then as the, the father of the compassion and the God of all comfort comforts me, I look back on my life and I go, you know what? He's used me to comfort others. And there's more, to, more comfort to be given. And so it's the same for you and for me. Because I only have a very limited range of people I can comfort. But the genius of the church... In our church, there's like maybe a hundred adults. Each of us has our own troubles. And each of us encounters God comforting us in those troubles. And then think of the amount of comfort we can give to others. There's like a hundred conduits of comfort from heaven to earth flowing through you. Through us. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. So... Um, we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Our whole church, this is the mission of the church. And here's the most amazing comfort we get, and I'm going to jump forward to this, and then next week we'll probably come back and unpack it a bit more. But the amazing thing this does, Paul wraps up this section talking about troubles and ongoing troubles he's experiencing. He says, we go through all of this, right? This happened... All his ongoing sufferings that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. (laughs) Like that's, so when, so in the end, in the end, we'll all have troubles, we'll receive comfort, we'll comfort others, but the power to do that the power to live with our brokenness and our heartaches and our troubles and still pour ourselves out to comfort others the power for that doesn't come from ourselves it comes from god who is raising the dead this is the god who resurrects people starting with jesus that's at the very heart of christianity this is the good news the power this is we are not a self-help group we are not a self-help group. We are we are a a resurrection power help group. That gives us hope because because in the end don't rely on yourself rely on God who's ultimately going to heal us? Who's ultimately going to comfort us? Who's ultimately going to wipe away all our tears and make everything new? Who's ultimately going to put together all the broken pieces of your life and my life and our world? Well, it's the God who raises Jesus from the dead and will raise you from the dead. That's where the power comes from. So what we want to do as a church, walk deeply with this God Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Receive comfort, give comfort, and do all of it relying on God, not ourselves. And then get as many people as possible on that journey. Like, just, I'll back up for a moment. Um, uh, I could ask for a show of hands. <laughs> now, let me do it this way. On a scale of one to ten, one is... Mark, I don't believe anything you've said. I'm not a Christian. I don't think there's a God. I'm just here for someone else. I'm just here to keep someone near me happy. (laughs) Okay? And 10 is, Mark, I'm with you and I could have preached it. I probably believe even more than you. I'm absolutely sold on. I am right. I'm into this full on. I'm like, I have as much faith as the Apostle Paul and nearly as much as Jesus. That's 10. Okay. Well... Where are you right now? And, I, and very seriously, think about that. And what I want to invite you to do is, we'll think about if you want, what would it take to move, if you're a one, for you to move to a two? And if you're a four, to move to a five? And if you're an eight, to move to a nine? What's the next step to live this out? Take it. Maybe the very next step, thing you need to do is just ask God to give you the power to do it. Say, Jesus, I want to I trust. I want to believe this is true, because here's what I think. Even if you're a one or a two, don't you think, and you don't believe this, don't you think this story is so good and so full of hope that you'd want to be an eight or a nine? <laughs> Don't you think this is the kind of thing you'd want to be true, even if you currently can't believe it to be true? I think it is. I think it's the most extraordinarily wonderful, brilliant story. I also happen to think it's true. So maybe what you need to do if you're a one or a two or a three is to say to God this morning, hey, help me. I I think this is amazing and I, I want it to be true, but I don't know that it is, so help me, help me. Ask God to help you today. And that's what we're here to do, to help all of us move up that spectrum from our our zeros and our ones and our twos to keep journeying in faith so we experience more and more of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the God of, um, of all comfort. You are the father of compassion. And you are the God who raises us from the dead. So I pray for us as a church, that for each of us in this room and online, that wherever we are on on that spectrum of belief, that today you'll help us trust you a little more. I pray that today, if there are any of us here who are really broken and full of trouble today, just hurting, beaten up, maybe struggling with addictions that no one else knows about, maybe going through relational trauma, Maybe caught up in all sorts of financial difficulties. Maybe just lost in the wasteland of middle age and pointlessness. Or maybe just overwhelmed with little kids. Wherever we are, Lord, may, may, we, may we know your compassion and comfort and resurrection power. And even this morning, may we find someone in this group here who can comfort us, give us hope. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.